approach this subject from the thought, the silence of God. Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. This is what it says. And Jesus went from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Verse 23, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came to him and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. What do you do with the silence of God? What do you do in your life when you're seeking him and you're praying and it feels like nobody's listening? What do you do with that void in your heart when you are crying out to the God of the universe and it seems like the only thing that you're getting in return is silence? What do you do when you had maybe an amazing conversion moment where you came to know God and you felt the presence of God and the Holy Spirit and yet two weeks later or two months later, it almost feels like you're in the spiritual valley and it feels like God isn't there. What do you do when you're in your bedroom crying out and praying and it feels like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling and falling back to the floor right beside you? What do you do when it feels like no one is listening? What do you do with the silence of God? What do you do when you're in the valley of your faith? That's what we're talking about today. It's a fun subject. I think we need God's God's grace for this subject, so let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time that we share, and uh, we ask, (laughs) ironically, even in the midst of speaking about the silence of God, we ask boldly that you would speak. Holy Spirit, that you would reveal something, if not audibly, deep in our hearts about your character and about your purposes in our life, God. Reveal what you wanted to reveal through including this text in your Holy Scripture, God. Would you speak to us now in these moments that we share? Have your way in our heart. Build your kingdom here. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever heard about somebody, maybe one of your friends told you about somebody that they thought you should meet because maybe they're a really great person or whatever, and, and then maybe you, know, you heard about that person from somebody else, and so it's like, man, I've heard about this person a few times now, I haven't yet met them, maybe church has been so busy or so many people, you haven't had an opportunity to meet them or out in the world or whatever, but you heard of somebody and you really wanted to meet them because of everything you've heard, or maybe your friends you know, told you about this guy or this girl that's just so horrific and they're a miserable human being and you don't ever want to meet that person and they're just way off, you know what I'm saying? Whatever it is, good or bad, you ever been in a situation where you heard a lot about somebody and then when you finally met them, what you experienced was different from what you were told or what you thought you'd experience? 
Yeah, first impressions are a funny thing, huh? I'm horrible at first impressions. I mean, like, really bad at them. I got an F in first impressions class. I think it's because I don't think about it. Like, I don't, I don't really... That's funny because I think about a lot of stuff. I think my brain is like going everywhere, especially like here at church as a pastor. Like we're supposed to be really just all about people and relationship and yet those of us that are on staff, we're constantly running around trying to figure out how to make sure the services go well and so we're thinking about a billion things and people are trying to talk to us and I can feel myself sometimes just like, like thinking, I'm supposed to be listening and, and it's just like I'm out of it and I realize something about myself. I suffer from a, a horrific disease. I also realize there's a lot of Christians that suffer from this disease and it's really weird that we do. You would think that we would have been delivered from it at the moment of conversion, but yet it still remains. It's called facial non-reflectitis. It's where my face doesn't reflect the joy and love that's in my heart. And you know what? The Lord is healing me and I'm on a journey with him, so thank you, church, for your grace and walking with me. I, I, can, I, I know that there are people in this room that I probably offended, and all the time my, my precious wife is like, dude, that person thinks you're mad at them. And I'm like, why would they think that? You know? Because your face looks mad. So, <laughs> forgive me. I'm not good at first impressions. And, and for those of you that are, you know, God bless you. Teach me something. Can you imagine this first impression? I mean, like, really, put yourself, sometimes it's so easy to just kind of read through the Bible and like, oh, that happened, oh, that's, like, imagine just in, put yourself on the dusty streets of wherever they were. Imagine yourself being this woman. Imagine this first impression, this first encounter from this woman and the Jesus of Nazareth. This is what it says in verse 21, that uh, Jesus departed and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which if you read over that, it would be easy to just sort of breeze over what that really is saying, and that is that nowhere else in the New Testament does it say that Jesus left historical Israel, except for right here. That is to say, everything else that happened in Jesus' life happened within the allotted property that God gave to his people when they originally entered the promised land. Even when Jesus met uh, uh, the Samaritan woman in John chapter four and they were kind of talking about all this stuff, that where they were at that time was what was originally the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, of course, those people had sort of become diluted as it were and the Jews didn't really get along with the Samaritans and da, 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 but he was still within what God allotted, the land of Israel. In this passage, Jesus and his disciples leave the Jewish people, leave the region of Israel completely. That's important because anybody outside of that area, especially the people from Tyre and Sidon who really were enemies with the Jews, you wouldn't expect somebody from another land to refer to this Jesus with explicitly Hebrew terms. So you need to notice that it says that Jesus departed and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and then it says that she came out and cried out. That is to say, she heard of him. She must have heard of him because she came out of her city or her village and she sought him out. And she referred to him with Hebrew terms, that is, Lord, son of David. Those are messianic terms. Those are kingly terms. Those are terms that would uh, intrinsically within them would say, you are king, you have power, you have goodness, I've, I've heard of you. You heal people, you show compassion. 
And so she comes out and she cries out. And imagine this first impression. Lord, son of David, have mercy for my daughter is afflicted with a demon. And he answers her not a word. Silence. You ever been ignored by somebody before? It's not a fun feeling. In fact, it's pretty rude, isn't it? Can you imagine that? You ask somebody a question, especially in like a moment like this of extreme emotion and they just straight ignore you. What is it about this silence that so offends us? What is it about this passage and this silence that would lead us to feel that, that this account is one of the most profoundly absurd accounts in the entire New Testament? Have you ever read this before and wondered what is this even doing in here? Like this is weird. I think that what offends us most about this passage is the same thing that offends us most in our own life. And that is that the woman, her first experience and her impression of this Jesus, it must have been completely contrary to what she thought she had heard of the character of God. That is everything she thought she would experience when she met him, she didn't experience. And so everything she thought she knew of the character and the person of God was uh, sort of like taken down to rubble. Have you ever felt like that in your own life? That what you thought you were going to receive in your faith as you started following God, what you thought you should experience and expect from God was not what you expected. And it led to frustration, spiritual frustration, which really is unmet expectations. That's what frustration is, unmet expectations. And spiritual frustration has led to the shipwreck of many people's faith. It's why knowing the word of God and therefore the true character of God is so important. Because to expect something of somebody that they are not going to deliver or they won't deliver and then to to bank your whole philosophy on that and then when it doesn't come to pass, then you just think that it's all for naught or it was all a hoax. I mean, imagine imagine a, a marriage you know, like the young 21-year-olds who, who just think that living on love and daily sex is going to get them through their newlywed life. Right? Isn't that what it's like? You know? And it's a somewhat realistic, mostly idealistic, Hollywood-ish, romantic comedy type romance that eventually those feelings of euphoria and the honeymoon feelings go away. And it's not those honeymoon feelings that are going to sustain real love. As pastors, we come across people all the time that say, you know, I don't know what to do in my marriage. I just don't feel like I love that person anymore. And typically, I respond with something like this. Well, that's good because now you have a greater opportunity to show real love, not a lesser one. I mean, let's think about this. When love is easy because it gives you goosebumps and you feel euphoric in your own person, it's easy to love somebody. But when those feelings go away, that is the opportunity. You're standing on the edge of opportunity where you could show what real love and real commitment truly is. It's a greater opportunity, not a lesser one. Because for me, to, as much as I love my wife, and sometimes we have those, you know, lovey-dovey feelings, but you, you know if you've been married, you don't always have them. 
And you know that it's when you love out of commitment that that is a greater love than the one that just is easy because it feels good for you. In the same way in our faith, because marriage is God's gift to us, the greatest analogy for our relationship with God. In our faith, when people say, I just don't feel God. You know, I, 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 I was here crying on the altar one week, and then two weeks later, I don't feel that feeling anymore. I, I say, good, because the Holy Spirit is not your goosebumps. And I said, you know, that is an opportunity for you to express a greater degree of faith, not a lesser one. Because when faith and, and everything that we thought that we experienced when we make this, this faith and this religion about us and our feelings, and those go away, God has given us an opportunity for true faith to be born. It's a greater opportunity, not a weaker one. So how do you respond to the silence of God? How do you respond when the goosebumps go away? How do you respond when you approach God like the woman did in prayer, crying out, even laying your heart bare before him, crying out, have mercy on me, and it feels like all you receive is silence? How do you respond? What was that woman feeling in that moment? It gets worse. First, he just ignores her, and then it gets worse. The disciples came to him, and they begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. So here we have the woman that's coming out out of deep need and desperation for a touch from a compassionate God, crying out to him out of need, and he just is quiet to her. And then his disciples come to him, not out of great need, but out of annoyance, saying, this woman is annoying us, Jesus, send her away. So you got the woman crying out to him, you got the disciples crying out to him, and it's like this verbal chaos, and he's just sitting there listening. Can you imagine that? The people that are following Jesus are trying to get somebody who's trying to come to Jesus not to be near Jesus. That would be like the church kind of hindering other people from coming to God. Wouldn't that be weird? <laughs> She's crying out out of desperation and they're crying out out of annoyance. Send her away. I think this uh, speaks to a good lesson. Just because you're experiencing the silence of God does not mean that another voice that you hear is going to be a good one. Just because something is offering you uh, a different option than the, than the pause of God doesn't mean that it's a better option than the pause of God. That is to say that sin will answer you quickly and loudly every time. Oh, come on. The world will answer you quickly and loudly. Oh, you want to be answered right now? Here, take the bottle because it'll numb you quickly. Oh, you want a passionate answer? Here's a little sex and here's a little lust and that will answer you passionately. What the woman found in this situation is though the son of God was being silent to her, the voice of the disciples was not any better. 
You should know that if you're going through a valley, a feeling of silence or solitude or a valley in your faith, that doesn't mean that if the world is willing to give you a response that might be louder or quicker, that it's any better. We live in a microwave society and we want God to answer us right now. And maybe, just maybe, there was a a purpose in the pause. And maybe there's a purpose in your pause sometime. So the disciples, Jesus, send her away. She's annoying. And it gets worse. Verse 24. Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. What does that mean? (laughs) I mean, again, what's going through her mind, you know? She's just crying out. She's like laying her emotions out there and he just ignores her first. And then she sees that these guys are trying to kick her out. And then he says, is he saying, I'm not here for you? I'm not here for your people. I'm just here for them and them alone. I don't know. To be fair to Jesus, he he might have been even wrestling with his own messianic identity. I mean, to be fair to the entirety of the scriptures, you know, it was said to Abraham that through you, uh, you're going to be a blessing to all peoples. And through Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel, it's always been God's covenant plan that through Israel, salvation would come to the whole world. We see this even in the, the book of Romans where it says that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Most people stop there. But the verse finishes like this, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. God's covenant plan was that he would bring salvation to the world through Israel. Those are his people. He has an everlasting covenant with them. And so what was he saying, that I'm not here for you? Or or was he wrestling with this idea that I I need to accomplish in Israel what I need to accomplish in order that this message of salvation can go out to the world? Whatever it was that he really meant, I don't know, but what was she feeling in the moment? It's this apparent insult of saying, I don't belong? Have you ever felt like that in the faith? Maybe you walk into church like this and you see the people in the front row raising their hands and just looking like they're feeling it and like, you know, I know the feeling of coming into a church like this and being like, whoa, it's weird, the lights are off and everybody's kind of going crazy. I don't belong. Or maybe, you know, you hear pastors talk about, I heard from the Lord and, you know, the Lord says this and, and you feel like, man, when I pray, I don't hear from God, maybe I don't belong in this faith. Have you ever wrestled with that thought of wondering, maybe it's just not for me? So how does she respond? He said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, verse 25, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. She came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. I don't know what your version of the Bible says, but my version says knelt, and uh, you know that the actual word there in the, in the original Greek text is the word for worship. I mean, it's not just like a version of the word worship. The text says she came and worshiped and said, Lord, help me. And it's the same exact word that occurs at the beginning of the Gospels when it says the wise men came and worshiped Jesus, same word. 
It's the same word that we find in the Gospel of John when, when Jesus says true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth, same word. It's the same word for worship that occurs 24 times in the book of Revelation when it's talking about the angels and everybody worshiping God in heaven, same word. That is the word worship that is occurring right here in this text. She gets ignored, she gets the disciples trying to get Jesus to kick her out, and then he says this weird thing like, hey, I came for Israel, and she doesn't know if that means you're not for me, I don't belong, and then it says, instead of walking away and saying, fine, forget you, you must not be who I thought you were, it says she came and worshiped and knelt at his feet and cried out, Lord, help me. I wanna show you actually what that Greek word proskuneo means. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to show you. This is what it means. That's the definition of that word. Proskuneo. It's one of the places that we get our word prostrate. That's not a part of your body. That's a form of worship. Seriously, though, to lie prostrate, to lie humbly before God, to worship God really means to get on your face and taste the carpet. I mean, have you ever found yourself in a place, I'm I'm serious, have you ever actually worshiped God out of such praise and adoration and desperation that you got on your face and worshiped him out of total humility? Have you? Because we live in a a church culture today that thinks that worship is when you walk in and the lights are just right and the volume is just right and oh, they played my favorite worship song and oceans really spoke to me today. (laughs) Worship is not about us and never has been. When you come in and they don't play the songs you like or not everything's just right, it's okay because worship is for him. Man, glory to God that he meets us and blesses us in worship, but primarily it is for him. And I wonder, I wonder if in the moments that we face the silence of God or whatever it is that we experience or think we're experiencing, how do we respond to the silence of God? Do we respond by saying, you know what, this whole thing must just be a hoax. Prayer must not be for me. Or do we get on our face and cry out to him out of desperation? Do you cry out to him out of desperation like this woman? Do you worship him? Saying, I'm not gonna let your feet go until you answer me. Maybe that's what Jesus wanted. I don't know all of the hidden mysteries of the heart of God, but I do know that God desires a broken and contrite heart, a heart that would seek him fully and passionately. And so she worshiped. And she appealed, and it gets worse. (laughs) He says this weird thing. He said, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. Have you ever read this before? This is absurd. It's weird. He ignores her. Disciples are trying to kick her out of the church. And then he says this weird thing, kind of like, I'm not really for you right now. And then he says something about, you're a dog. It's just bizarre to me. You know, it's crazy as I was reading, uh, I was reading on this text, of course, and studying, and uh, I, I was studying on that word worship and what that really meant, and I was studying this, and it's, it's at least notable in Jesus' defense, 
in Matthew's defense of writing this account that in the New Testament, there's two uses, uh, two words that refer to dogs in the New Testament. One word refers to street dogs or the, the dogs that kind of roam about, you know, they hang out in Gehenna, the dump, where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it's at least notable to mention that in this passage, the word that's used is used to refer to the house dog, man's best friend. The dog that just wants to be by your side. And this was the craziest part. I didn't read this in some commentary like somebody was sort of making a link between this. I was studying separately the word for worship and I was studying the words for dogs and this and whatever. And what I noticed in the definition, a secondary definition other than lying prostrate for the word for worship, proskuneo, it said this, it's like a dog that just wants to be next to their master licking their hand. That was one of the definitions of worship. Isn't that cool? And so what would she respond here in this final moment after insult upon insult seemingly? uh, You and I, if you've ever read this, you've probably been insulted like I have. Like, what is going on? This doesn't match up. How would she respond? An already clearly humble woman. How would she respond? Would she, in the end, appeal to her great faith? Would she appeal to the great distance that she traveled to see him? Would she appeal to, hey, I saw that, or I heard that you did this and this and this. Would she appeal to his goodness? No. Rather, she would humble humble herself further, and she would say, truth, Lord. Yes, you are right. You are right. I have no claim on your grace. I am not entitled to your attention. I am not entitled by any means to eat from your banquet table. And yet, I ask you, would you spare a crumb for me? You know, when you and I become entitled to the grace of God, that same grace has lost its power. We live in a culture where we, t- you know, Jesus and church and everything's so uh, readily accessible for us. The goodness and the forgiveness of God is so preached and we, we know that. But that doesn't change the fact that we should wake up every morning continually astounded by his grace shown to us, right? I mean, shouldn't we wake up and, and continually feel, you know, God, I have no claim. I am not entitled to your grace at all. Thank you for it. This woman was expressing zero entitlement, truth, I'm not entitled to your attention. You don't have to answer my prayer. There's no reason why you should. But I'll ask for it because I believe that you're good. Even though what I'm experiencing in this moment doesn't line up with what I thought I would, I still believe that you're good. Have you ever found yourself in that place of your faith where you just had to say, you know what, if I keep going in this faith at all, it's just gonna be solely out of faith that God is good even though I don't experience it or feel it right now. And it gets better. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you exactly as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Isn't that amazing? I mean, can you really imagine being in this situation? Coming out and crying out. 
laying everything before this Jesus that you've heard of, receiving silence, receiving insults, receiving these disciples that are just saying, we're annoyed with you, get away, and continually pursuing, worshiping this guy, saying, have mercy on me. And then Jesus says something that he only said to one other person and something that he never said to any of the 12 disciples who left their whole life to follow him. Something that Jesus never said to any other Israelite for that matter. Jesus said to her, great is your faith. He only said that one other time to the Roman centurion. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? The God's people, you know, if you actually add it up, I think it's like seven or eight times that Jesus was astonished by something in the Bible, and most of those times he was astonished by people's lack of faith. And yet here in this moment, after this uh, weird, chaotic passage, we find Jesus make a statement about an individual, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as exactly as you desire it to be. Isn't that beautiful? You know, the silence of God in your life is not always as bad as you think that it is. In fact, the silence of God in your life might be the greatest gift that he would ever give you. I believe that because I think that the silence of God in humanity is the greatest thing that humanity's ever experienced. That is to say that when, when Jesus got on that cross and he died and he cried out, Lord, why have you forsaken me? And God respond, uh, responded not. In the silence of that moment of crucifixion, in the silence of that moment, God accomplished the greatest thing that he would ever accomplish for humanity. Did he not? In the silence of God, as Jesus died on the cross, he accomplished salvation for you and I. How beautiful is that? The silence, or rather the pause of God, can sometimes be the greatest gift that he would give you. I didn't say this to any other service, but you're the 1130, and so we can keep you forever. So I'm I'm going to add this. Just because you think you're experiencing silence doesn't mean that you are. I think that a lot of people in our world blame God for something that he has blamed us for. That is to say, if we look at the world and say, God, where are you? Where, what's up with your silence in the hunger that's going on in our world? Why don't you intervene? Why are people in Africa dying of hunger? And he would say, what you're saying is my silence is not my silence. For I spoke long ago, loud and clear, you have more than enough food and more than enough resources to feed every person on this planet. What I asked you to do loudly, you refuse to do. So don't tell me that that's my silence when I asked you to do it. It is blasphemous for us to blame God for not doing something that he asked his church to do. Man, he's not always silent when we think that he's silent. There are people in our city that are experiencing very vividly the silence of God and his answer to that would be, I sent you. Go to them. You are my, you know the Bible says that he's making his appeal to this world through us. 
He spoke that. And when God speaks something, then he doesn't go back on his word. So don't expect God to, to raise the silence in a world that needs to hear his message. When he already spoke loud and clear, I asked you to deliver it. There is no silence in that situation unless we are being silent. Anyway, let me encourage you with a few things as we close. Would you just stand to your feet? The first thing is this. If in your own faith, in your own heart, in your own prayer time, you experience the silence of God, would you take heart? I really felt like this message, uh, just literally alone, talking about it, revealing, you know, un taking the cloak off the elephant in the proverbial prayer room would set some people free. That is to say that I know some of you probably feel like it's only me that doesn't, that feels this silence and this solitude and I want you to know you're not alone. I felt it, the woman felt it, John the Baptist even felt it. As he was in prison crying out to Jesus like, what is going on? I've done everything you've asked me to do. Would you just help me see? Are you, are you really the Christ? And Jesus responded, hey, the sick are becoming well and the blind are seeing and miracles are being done. Blessed are those who aren't offended at me. That is to say, blessed are those who can accept the character and the operation of God on this planet the way that he sees fit that it would be done and not become offended and walk away. Blessed are you when you can trust and know that God has the best in mind for humanity and even you, even if what you're currently experiencing isn't what you thought was best for you. Blessed are you when you can walk through the season of the winter that Bobby was talking about and know that even in this moment, God has something for me. Take heart, friends, you're not alone. The second thing would be this, press into him. Seek him, cry out to him. Don't walk away from prayer or the faith because you're feeling that tension or that drought. Worship him, get on your face and cry out to him. And the last thing is this, that what you might be experiencing as the silence of God is not a period, it's a comma. The silence of God is always just a comma. It's a pause intended to continue, intended for a better finish, intended for eternity. And sometimes God has something that he wants to accomplish in the pause. Sometimes there's greatness in the pause. I'm gonna close the service and uh, these folks are up here. They just wanna pray with you if you have prayer needs for anything at all. I just want you to know, you know, if you, if you sometimes come and wonder, like, nobody up here is special and they don't have a book of magical ABC prayers. That's not what it's about. Just human beings like the rest of you but we believe that there's power in confession and the unity of coming to God in prayer. Jesus said, wherever two or three agree upon anything, it is done. That's why we come up here week after week to pray with you because there's just something great about a brother and a sister bearing one another's burdens. You know what I'm saying? So that's why they're up here. So after I close in prayer, if you have, if you have needs, uh, prayer needs, anything going on in your life, please don't leave this place before getting prayer. But I wanna pray in two ways right now and I just would invite you to pray with me. I'm gonna pray one that if there's anything that is hindering you from hearing the voice of God that's not from him, 
that he would deliver you from it. That is to say, whether it's hurts or pains or uh, something that has been in your past or maybe sins that have sort of encapsulated your heart with this callousness, and that's not from him, I'm gonna ask that he would remove that and that the Holy Spirit would start speaking to you because we know, friends, don't get me wrong, ultimately speaking, we know that God wants to speak to us. He says that my sheep will know my voice and they won't even recognize the voice of another. God wants you to know his voice. God wants to speak with you and he wants to lead you. He wants you to know the closeness of his spirit. And so if there are things that are hindering that that aren't from him, we're gonna ask supernaturally that God would deliver them. But I'm also gonna pray that there might be a handful of you in this room that are going through a God-ordained season of pause and that if that's you, that you would have the courage to walk through that season and seek him for his purposes in that pause. Amen? Will you pray with me, church? God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this Memorial Day weekend. We thank you, uh, even though some of us may have wished that this passage was thrown out of the Bible because we thought it didn't match with your character and we didn't get it. I thank you, God, that it's in the Bible because we see and experience that other people go through what we sometimes go through, God, this silence, this pause. Lord, I thank you for these seasons that you draw us in, not through emotion, not through the goosebumps, but you draw us in through even the quiet. Lord, I ask right now in this moment through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would deliver anybody that, it, that has uh, callousness or, or shells around their heart that are not from you. God, anything that's just built up over the years that has made us angry or bitter or chained us up or whatever it might be that's not from you, God, whether it's from the devil or from the pain of the world or from our own sin, God, would you deliver your people that we might hear your voice in the power of your Holy Spirit. And I also pray, Jesus, that those that are going through an ordained pause that you have given to them, that you would uh, give them the courage, the ability to walk through this season. We commit ourselves to you, God, wholeheartedly, heart, soul, and mind. Whatever it is that you want to do with us, we will follow you. We will not give up. We will cry out to you. We will worship you, knowing that your word says that when we seek you with all of our heart, then we will be found by you. We offer you all that we are, Jesus, and it's in your powerful name we pray, amen.